You're listening to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 67. Dan Toma is the co-author of the book, The Corporate Startup, along with Tendai Vicky and Esther Gans. Dan got his start as an entrepreneur working in and around startups, and then later on in accelerators. This book came out of one of his first corporate innovation jobs with Deutsche Telekom, which is the third largest carrier in the world. Dan and Josh talked about some of the trouble spots for corporate innovation teams, how to measure results for optimization and innovation differently, and some really helpful examples of what those different innovation accounting measures actually look like. Hi there, everyone. I'm Victory Clafter, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation. This is the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. If you've got time, leave us a review on iTunes or reach out to us on Twitter at the IO Podcast. What were some of those bottlenecks that you and Tendai were, were first acknowledging that got in the way of really enabling innovation within a corporation? The first bottleneck was actually middle management. And what I saw usually happening was that the product teams were starting to work in an agile way and using Lean Startup, and then they reported into middle management their findings. So they were no longer reporting what they have done, but they are pretty much reporting what they haven't done or prevented from happening. And middle management was all confused saying, but I gave you budget to actually write, I don't know, 20 user stories in the last sprint. Then you only wrote one, you released one, and then you spent all the other budget doing experimenting. Like, why are you doing that? And that's when I realized that management training needs to happen, but I learned it the, the hard way after, after some, of the, some of the teams, including the team that I was running, ran into some, some issues with, uh, with middle management. Nothing that couldn't be fixed, but it would have been easier to fix it from the beginning than patch it later on. Absolutely. So I'd like to get into maybe some parts of the book uh, and any specific stories that you might have to highlight there. One of the first things that jumped out to me is, is like you said, many organizations do want to jump in and start to equip their product teams with skills, but there's a lot right. of other uh, things around that in terms of how they manage innovation and, and the strategy side of innovation. That's extremely important. And, and one of the very first things is really what the innovation theses are uh, right, for that organization. Could you tell us a little bit more about that idea? A lot of corporations today are a bit chaotic and they pretty much behave like kids in the candy store. That's the that's the analogy I use. And uh, what I refer by, by kids in the candy store, I refer to the fact that whenever there's a new technology or a new methodology that comes out, they immediately jump at that and say, yes, how do we integrate that in our business? For example, how are we going to benefit from VR or how are we going to benefit from augmented reality or Bitcoin or... I don't know, like all of these cool technologies. So they don't actually have a framework and they don't analyze what are the implications of that particular technology to their overall ecosystem. Like, are you actually going to benefit from, from using drones? Is that something you need to focus on? Or 
do you just want to become a, a me too type of an organization? Like, yeah, I, me too, I use drones too, or I use VR too. And the first thing a corporation needs to do is to create an innovation thesis. And in the concept of the innovation thesis, uh, we're basically importing that from, from the venture capital world. So in, in venture capital, every VC company has an investment thesis. And the investment thesis just defines what the what that company is going to invest in. In the book, there are some examples of VC companies and their innovation thesis, and then examples of what companies they've invested in. For a corporate environment, an innovation thesis basically helps uh, executives align on why should successful business units, financially successful business units, contribute financially to cost centers. And by cost centers, I mean pretty much everything that's under product and innovation or R&D, because these are pretty much labeled as cost centers. An example for an innovation thesis, I usually, when, when I do this this type of work with executives, I usually give a simple example. And this goes back to the speech President Kennedy gave to the Congress in, I think it was 1961. It was that famous speech about, you know, this nation should commit itself to send a man to the moon and bring it back home before the decade is over. Summarizing it, of course, uh, this basically was the innovation thesis for the American space program. This was the innovation thesis for NASA, right? So President Kennedy didn't say how NASA should do it, but it said what NASA should be doing and mm-hmm. what's the direction in which NASA should be pointing. Yeah, so that's basically the the overall overly simplified explanation of the innovation thesis. Again, the thesis should be treated as a thesis and not a law. So you can always go back and change it. You can create a lot of hypotheses around your thesis and then experiment them with with products within your portfolio. Hey, do we actually think that the technology or the industry is heading in that direction? I don't know. Let's take a product team and, and run with them for like three, six months and see see what are some what are some market results that they get and then we decide if we adapt our thesis or not. I think that's extremely important from a focus standpoint, because uh, like you said, it, it's it's not a law, but you still need to have almost a loose, tight conversation around at least calling your shot towards specific areas, yet still being open to the exploration of, of those particular ideas. Yeah, basically it helps you with, with designing what's, uh, what other scholars have, um, have said that were named an ambidextrous organization. Again, it's justifying why some people need to contribute to the others and um, why we all benefit from this, this small investments. You bring up another good point there, and that's if, if people are coming out of the gate saying, we want to make everybody innovative and we need an innovative culture, uh, what always runs into problems is the moment that, as you mentioned, the, the, the left hand in that ambidextrous organization, the core business was built to be extremely efficient and effective at executing the existing business model. And we absolutely need that to continue while at the same time uh, have individuals as well as develop the capabilities to continue the exploration of things that are outside of that core business. Yeah, and people need to understand there is no competition between the two. It's not like people are going to cannibalize, although it might seem that sometimes the innovators are cannibalizing the um, existing successful business model. People need to understand that this is just happening because the market is shifting. 
and there is new there is a new trend in the market and the users the customers the consumers demand something something new it's not like somebody's doing it on purpose one of the questions that we routinely get asked in that scenario then is uh, how do you elevate those people who are working on the core business and maybe even focused and encouraged to do continuous improvement on the core business how do you elevate what they're doing to be as cool as those people over there who get to work on a lot of crazy new ideas and um, maybe have a little bit less accountability because you can't see the immediate results and their accounting is different because we're going to count learning and failure and those are great things. Is there a way to be able to bring these up to celebrate? Because you, you still definitely need that core business ongoing and you absolutely don't want to demoralize the vast majority of people who will be working on those types of things in the core business. Well, I think that the conversation should revolve around two things. One thing is transparency, and the other thing should be a, a solid governance system. And by a solid governance system, I mainly refer to something that looks pretty much like a constitution. So it's going to be like the, the constitution of the company that basically defines what we're going to invest in, what we're not going to invest in, when do we discontinue products, when do we when we still let them going, when are we scaling them up, when are we scaling them down, how are we moving people within various stages of a product life cycle. So there's a lot of things that, that corporations need to consider if they want to go the, down the path of, uh, you know, enabling innovation, like enabling real innovation with, within their company. Everybody talks about innovation accounting. Uh, most innovation consultants can say those two words, and that's about as deep as it gets. Uh, educate us a little bit more on our listeners on some of the basics of innovation accounting or even a, a 201 class on sure. it. Right, right, right. So the first thing everybody needs to understand that innovation accounting is different from, from standard uh, standard accounting because in innovation you don't measure um, you don't measure like a financial outcome but you're measuring learning so you're measuring a bit of an output there right but it's a different output than in, than the financial or product output that uh, normal accountants are are familiar with so that's that's one of the first mistakes I've seen corporations make they get impatient and um, they get impatient because they measure the success or the failure of uh, any given new idea through the lens of financial accounting. So they're going to have a product team launch a product, let's say Monday, and in two months' time, Monday in two months' time, they're going to look at what was the financial return on that product instead of being more patient and saying, hey, this, this team has just released Let's just see what other things have they done. So in the book, we, we suggest various KPIs. Basically, innovation accounting is about asking the right question at the right time within the, within the life cycle of, uh, of a product, right? So the questions you ask day one are different from the questions you need to ask 100 days later and then 10 years later or whatever, right? Also, questions vary from who is asking or who is asked that question. Like uh, you're asking the product team as a different question and then you're asking the governance body. A governance body being somebody that's taking go, no go investment decisions on, on a product. And uh, also there's a different set of questions that executives need to ask themselves. 
so it's like levels, right? So product team level, then governance level, and then it's executive level. So for product team level, you can always ask questions around how many experiments have you guys done, right? And um, how, how successful were, were those experiments? What is your, for example, you have a business model, right? Uh, what is your knowledge to assumption ratio there? How much knowledge do you have in your business model today? And how many assumptions do you have? And through experiment velocity, measuring uh, experiment velocity, then you can just use that to uh, see if that team is knocking down more of their assumptions or is knocking them fast enough. Just to give you a, a metaphor here, uh, basically consider yourself playing the lottery. And you know that the jackpot is going to always be the same let's say 100 million, right? So you're playing for a jackpot of 100 million. That's what that market is, is worth. And um, you, have, you have two approaches. You can either buy a ticket that's worth $100,000 or $1 million. Let's just make it more interesting. You can, you can buy it for $1 million or you can buy 1 million tickets worth $1. Any type of ticket has the same probability of, um, of success. Uh, of course, the smart idea would be to buy 1 million tickets because you're basically increasing exponentially your chances of success. And that's basically experiment velocity, right? It's just how many experiments, cheap and fast experiments, can you do within the given time versus the standard way in which you'll just release code and see what happens, basically the spaghetti test. Another cool innovation accounting metric is, uh, for example, for for because the, the knowledge to assumption ratio actually works for governance as well, right? So you can take a decision, a go, no, go, continue investing or, or discontinue this, this product idea by, based on knowledge to assumption ratio. Like if the team has more assumptions than knowledge, probably you should not continue investing in them or just let them know that unless that ratio changes, they're not going to make the, the next financing round. As you can see, I'm using a lot of terminology from, from the startup world. For executive level, right, for the corporate, uh, for the corporate level, uh, innovation accounting basically translates into measuring how much, how successful were, were, were your innovations. Basically, you can look at how many people that used your, your previous offering are, are converting to the new one. Say, in the case of Apple, how many people that used iPhone 6 are converting to an iPhone 7? and so on and so forth. You can look at the arena, and by arena, I don't mean an industry, but the arena meaning uh, something around the job to be done or something around a, a, a user. And I'm going to give you an example here. Uh, you can look into an arena and see how many products within that arena are offered by you and how are you doing against against competitors. And for example, Unilever and uh, Procter & Gamble are, are using an arena called Household. And they're looking at how many products do you have in your household offered by Procter & Gamble. And they're analyzing that against how many products uh, are in your household from Unilever. You have so many products in your household that you don't know they are from Unilever or, or P&G because they use this, uh, this, these brands that they're like super good at creating, right? So these, these are some of the global innovation KPIs that, that executives can, can use. I've seen a really interesting um, example with um, two companies. I think it was one of them was 3M and I think one of them was Cisco. And this also touches on how do you incentivize management to 
uh, let innovation happen within the company. So the KPI that they were using was was really interesting. Basically, they were analyzing the activity of uh, an, an executive or of, of actually a I would say top management, not necessarily executives, so like VP level, somebody that has PNL, like profit and loss accountability. So they were not looking just at the profit numbers. Have you actually hit on, on your profit numbers for this financial year? But they were actually interested in percentage of that profit coming from products that you've launched in the past three, five years. And this quota can be like 25% or something like that. So they were forcing people to let their employees innovate. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. You can find Dan's book, The Corporate Startup, on Amazon. Best way to reach Dan is on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to come back next week to hear more insight from thought leaders and experts who can help you change the world. Until then, go out and innovate.